0: Listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Pulse 95.
1: Keeping it local all day, every day. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95.
0: Ahlan wa sabah al khair and welcome to a brand new week of Life Beats. Now today we're going to meet a man who is traveling the world to help people understand what their life's purpose is. It's an He's an international speaker, author, social entrepreneur, former basketball player and mindset coach. Not to mention a Renzo Gracie black belt as well, but that is not why you need to know who he is. Cornell Thomas will be joining me to share his extraordinary story and to help you answer that fundamental question. Why are you here? And the answer will surprise you don't miss the conversation with him that's coming up from 11 a.m but first we are talking education our schools and curricula where they need to be right now and where does the future of education lie for the well-being of our kids i'm about to be joined by one of the foremost names in education here in the uae dr paul Lieblick, director of schools at scholars international group he's recognized as a national distinguished principal by the u.s state department held headship positions at international schools since 1995 and he was responsible for developing a new type of curriculum with colleagues in Zurich. We're about to get his take next on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse95.
1: The Heart of Sharjah. Life beats life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95.
0: Yes, it's Life Beats with me Sally Musa on the Pulse 95. Now uh, Dr. Paul Lieblich is joining me here this morning. Hello and welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Great to have you. Now Uh, Of course, you are a prominent global name in education, but I think it's important for us to start at the beginning and to look at where your passion for education started. Um, Because you've been observing a lot of things uh, in schools during the years. You've actually been a teacher, you've lived in eight different countries uh, over 40 years, uh, which is an extraordinary experience. Take us back. Where did it all start for Dr. Paul Liebling?
1: Well, if if I go uh, all the way back to my college years and I I went through a pretty normal routine for a lot of young people, um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and then I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I studied science a lot. I studied political science a lot, economics. Um, In the end, I decided uh, the best fit for me would be working with with people in a very social organization every day. And so I decided I would go and get my graduate degree in uh, education.
0: And you actually started out not kind of in the easiest uh, fields of education, if you like. You went into special needs. So so interesting. Tell me more about that.
1: Uh, well, I just I just thought the uh, the greatest need was there, and it was it was the most interesting area of education. You know, how do you how do you make um, the educational system meet the needs of kids with with, with specific problems?
0: And so what did you discover? What were you observing at that time? Because this was around the late 70s, I think. Yes. Um, and so what were you seeing in the classrooms? And well, then how did you think it all needed to change?
1: Yeah, well, the uh, the, the program I was in at university was to uh, work with kids and keeping kids with special needs in regular classrooms mm. and creating a new model for that, not the self-contained model. And so um, my job was to work in regular, regular schools, to taking referrals, and helping teachers work with kids who had problems in their classrooms. Um, and so, but what I, what I began to realize was that um, the system was part of the problem.
0: What kind of problems were you observing? I, I want to go into a little bit of depth. Uh, the, the, way,
1: the way we would teach mathematics, the way we would teach uh, reading and writing, it was this rigid system that was designed, um, it was more like an assembly line system that mm-hmm. was good for building cars, but not particularly good for developing kids. Um, and if and if the kid didn't fit that assembly line, they suddenly became a special needs kid, and then the system couldn't cope with that because the system was so rigid, it was not dynamic enough. It could not it could not adjust to the different needs of the kids. And of course, kids aren't cars nor are they're toaster ovens. They're they they work very different than those those appliances. And so, how you work with them has to be different. And so I realized early on that. Um, that more had to be done to change the system, and so I decided to, you know, put more of my energy into uh, working in in regular schools, also adjusting how I taught and how other people taught to um, to to work with those kids in the regular class setting, in the in the normal the normal society where they will eventually have to live the rest of their lives after they're finished with school.
0: This all started, uh, as we were saying, in the late seventies, and and uh, this is. Uh, a passion of yours, making sure that you are uh, developing curriculum that that keeps up with where kids need to be. Particularly today, I feel like we've never seen change and the speed of change the way that we are today. So the way that education was before, um, like you say, it was like a production line. How did it change? How did you come in when you were working on a new type of curriculum uh, that you developed in Zurich when you were in Zurich? How did you change that? What did you say, okay, what what needs to happen here?
1: Well, I I was a head of an international school um, in both Amsterdam and Zurich and began to work with colleagues who were Mm -hmm. also heads of schools who felt that the uh, uh, curriculum that we were using, the approach to education that we were using just wasn't wasn't right, it didn't, it didn't help our kids the way we needed to, and we, we had too many problems we couldn't solve with that system. So we got together and we, we put together a framework, uh, which eventually became the primary years program of the IB, um, that was more um, connected to the developmental needs of kids, that was more flexible, that could change based on what kids needed. And so out of that, um, you know, I think it's something that many of us have been wrestling with for a long time, but we didn't quite know how to go, with it, where to go with it. And so um, putting together a group of like-minded people, we worked together for four or five years uh, to put together a framework that would be um, rigorous um, and that would still deliver a high quality education, um, but at the same time built in features that was more flexible and was also responding to what actually we've known um, in progressive education circles for a long time about how people learn best. And a lot of the practices of how people learn best were not being employed in traditional education systems. So a lot of our effort was to put those practices into um, an educational system that schools could replicate and use worldwide.
0: I love that. We're going to come back in just a moment. Dr. Paul Lieblik, uh, and I do want to ask you exactly how do people learn best and how do you put together a curriculum that is flexible enough, that is teaching what needs to be taught, but is flexible enough that... Uh, everybody gets to learn in the way that suits them best. That's coming up next on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse ninety five. This is Pulse ninety
1: five. The heart of Sharjah. What a story to tell. Life beats. With Sally Musa only on Pulse 95 95.
0: It's a fascinating conversation right now with Dr. Paul Lieblich. he is the director of Schools at Scholars International Group. and we are talking about education. How do kids learn best? How do different types of kids learn best? This is really the fundamental question right now. Um, and it seems that progressive education has an answer to that, Dr. Paul.
1: Well, I, if you think of a, a lot of things about how you learn best, I mean, one of the examples I, I give uh, the parents who are visiting the school asking about education, um, I ask them uh, if they have a mobile phone. And then I ask them, uh, uh, what's the name of the school that they that they went to to learn how to use that phone? And they nod their heads like, no. And, and I ask them, what course? Which teacher? I said, which thing did you learn first? What's the proper order of learning how to use it? I ask them if they've become highly competent using it? Are they able to understand and use a wide range of features? Are they able to apply their knowledge? The, or the answer to those questions is yes, yes, yes. And the answer to which school you went to is no, no, no. So it, it should tell us something about our being able to learn a pretty, you know, complex, high-level technology, um, but somehow we've done it ourselves, on our own. Now, how do we do it on our own? Well, you know, we did lots of things. We asked questions. We we investigated, we, we, we watched with other people, we played with it, we experimented. We, we failed many times to do things. We got very frustrated, but we were persistent.
0: We were determined to make that work. We were determined to make work. it work. Yeah. So
1: we were engaged. We were highly motivated to make it work. So these are the kinds of things that that high-quality learner learning um, is driven by. And so you can take an example as simple as, ha- how do you learn to use that phone? And if you can bring those kinds of um, learning experiences, which you which you were doing when you were learn, uh, developing your own ability to use that phone, if you can bring those kinds of experiences into a school, you're beginning to transform a traditional school setting where the teach student sits and listens and regurgitates and takes tests and then moves on to the next one and forgets everything they learned. Then you you're beginning to uh, think very differently about what um, sort of higher order learning looks like what does deep learning look like you know your ability to apply your knowledge to retain your knowledge to keep it for a long time to apply it in new situations
0: this sounds completely different to what i was used to when i was at school uh, particularly when you think about okay so my kids now they're in that generation that you're talking about where there's a lot more focus on this uh, kind of uh, progressive learning it's not in all schools but I can feel, you know, that schools are trying to engage kids more so that they do learn more and they can apply more. It used to be in our day, you know, you would go, you would learn everything, learn all the facts, do the test. And if you'd asked me what I'd learned uh, maybe a week after the test, I would tell you, I can't remember. It was all just to pass the test and to get past that mm-hmm. once you passed that nobody cared right nobody cared about the trigonometry right. or the calculus or you know the whatever theory it was that you were studying at that time yeah it was all done exactly so th- this is completely different what you're talking about
1: well there there's a there's i guess you could you could argue that there's been a game change you know the the fourth uh technological revolution you know um that the uh the schools used to be able to get away with just getting you into university, into a good university, and then things are taken care of after that for employment and university. Well, now universities are even beginning to look for students who can think and solve problems and be persistent and get things done on their own. Um, but even more so, the whole employment market for good quality jobs is just radically changing. We, we hear all the data all the time about how rapidly... Uh, jobs are disappearing and how rapidly new jobs are, are developing. Um, and the kinds of um, uh, qualities that companies are looking for in these new employees requires that students are, are resilient and thoughtful and uh, can apply knowledge and can work with others and, and, and problem solve and collaborate and um, all these kinds of things. So, these are things that they're really desperate to have, because we know that a lot of the knowledge base is at our fingertips. Um, so it becomes more important that you are able to, um, you know, follow through on getting work done and learning new things, um, to, to work, to move into new jobs that didn't exist before. Um, and so of, how does that look in a the school then? That's the question.
0: Yeah. I mean, because it's interesting. These kind of uh, skills that uh, are being focused on now, they're kind of called soft skills. And you kind of wonder, okay, is it all just jargon? Is it all, um, it sounds a little bit airy-fairy. Okay. Um, so you have to learn how to be resilient and have perseverance and uh, but it's like, you know, uh, parents can be going, well, hang on a minute. Where's the maths and where's the history and where's the science and where is where is all of that? How does it all, all fit together?
1: Well, there's no reason why you can't learn to be resilient as you're learning math. And then there's no reason why you can't Give learn Give us an to example of how you, that's taught. <clears throat> well, um, if you really want to understand um, a mathematical concept, your, your, your first uh, experience with that concept... Um, you know, it might be very confusing to you, and it might mean going back and 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 uh, going back and looking at the material again. It might mean going and looking at tutorials, and it might mean experimenting and trying it out. It might mean uh, trying to solve more complicated problems with it. It might mean talking to other people to get a better understanding of it. So it's not just a simple one-shot-out-of-the-textbook experience, but in fact, to really understand it so you can apply it mm. requires that you go deeper, and you, you really have to demonstrate that you can understand it. Now, if the, if the school is doing its job, then it makes sure that you learn that mathematical concept at the same time you're learning all these other skills about how to, how to learn something well, how to know when you're learning something well, and then how to apply it and use it in practical ways. Can you apply it in a, in a way that's relevant to your life experience? If you can't apply new knowledge in a way that's relevant and has impact, then then there is no point in doing it and so um the, the point is that the schools have to continue teaching uh, core knowledge there's no question that being literate and numerate is is our, our our critical languages for communicating with each other about the world and about our thinking about our feelings um, and so you have to have command over those over those languages but the way to get command over it is by using it and applying it and, and having chances to go back and think about it review it, critique it, reflect on it, get support from a good coach, a teacher, uh, other people and, and get, get to a very high standard with it. Not just simply getting off the hook by taking a, a test and getting a score. And then, and then you think you're moving on.
0: And then you've forgotten it all anyway uh we are talking to dr paul lee you can uh, send in your questions for him right now 4215 on it's a solid two zero double two on do uh you can even text us on instagram uh whatever questions you've got with regards to education and uh those core skills that kids need uh for the jobs that are coming uh, we're going to be talking about that and a lot more plus we're going to be talking about the knowledge series it's a, a conference that is happening next month uh, in Sharjah and it is all about uh, in, an introduction to the new and incoming inspection framework and best practices of teaching. We're going to be touching on that and much more with Dr. Paul Lieblick on Life Beats on Pulse95.
1: The heart of Sharjah. Pulse95. Keeping it local. All, all day. day every, every day. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Moussa only on Pulse 95. 95.
0: Talking education and particularly the future of education with Dr. Paul Lieblick. He is uh, the director of schools at Scholars International Academy, uh, at Scholars International Group, in in fact, uh, which includes Scholars International Academy amongst uh, its schools that it looks after, Clarion School as well. Uh, But Dr. Paul, Uh, Something that you talk about, which is really important, which I don't know that uh, schools think about enough, is what motivates, what motivates a child to you? This is fundamental. This is the fundamental question when we are talking about education.
1: Well, I I think, you know, the starting point for that is that um, we've recognized um, in years and years of educational research and just... um, how people learn is that motivation is probably one of the most important characteristics that relate to how well you learn. And so, um, since schools, since schools are in the in the in the in the in the work of uh, educating people, um, then certainly that then should be one of the most important things that they're trying to put in place and develop. All of their teachers should be all teachers should be heavily focused on motivating kids. Um, and so, uh, understanding what motivates people to learn is, is really critical. Um, and there are many different things that go into motivation, but we certainly know that part of it is, is your interest in something and, and, and giving you the, the motivation to learn something. So, um, you know, I've mentioned earlier, the kind of thing, like if you want to be able to write a, convince somebody of something and you're going to write an essay, um, Uh, and you begin to find out that it's important for you to convince those people of something, then you begin to think about, well, what are the tools that I need to use to, to be convincing? Well, you're going to find out as you explore that, um, you need to, you need to be able to spell and you need to be able to put ideas together in a, in a good sequence. You need to be able to, um, punctuate, um, you need to have a, a robust vocabulary. You need to know when to use all that and put it together. Now, that's that's those are the nuts and bolts of of you know English language any language you know re- writing reading and writing. So the teacher has to be thinking about how to use that, create a motivating situation where the child wants to write, and then begins to explore the, the all the mechanics and the concepts of of good writing. You know, so that's the kind of thing a teacher is doing, and it's, so it's it's what we call kind of a it's it's a journey of uh, inquiry. You know, finding out, putting the question. You start with the question, how do you write? A good or convincing um, uh, essay or, or paragraphs, so that somebody else understands what I believe about it, how I feel about it, and then you begin to pull that apart. And the teacher begins to say, "Well, let's take a look at how we how we do that." And for the young children, it starts with a very, very simple, just being able to make marks and beginning to put letters down. Uh, and as they get older, they begin to, you know, think more and more about the order of what their what their ideas are and and what are all the other parts of that. So the teacher works with that rather than just um, marching through it because it's on a list of what they must do. Uh, the teacher is helping the child to discover, you know, how they can, you know, empower themselves to be to become somebody who, who can convey their ideas in a mm. powerful way.
0: Mm. Are there things being taught in school at the moment that should really just not be taught in schools because they're just not relevant anymore?
1: I think, there, I think there probably are a lot of things um, because more and more um, we're able to access uh, knowledge very quickly, very easily, you know, by using the internet. Um, and so we do need to, to be thinking about those things. I mean, I, I'm certainly well aware that I'm not even sure how much, um, uh, you know, a lot of the conventions of writing maybe will be very different in what we need to know in the future with artificial intelligence. We just don't know yet, you know, where it's going. We 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 can work we can work with what we have now. We certainly can work with the the idea that uh, in order to express myself, I need to be able to 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 put my ideas and sort them out in order. Now, how I'll convince how I'll record those in the future, I don't know. That's Mm -hmm. a good question. For right now, though, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue trying to teach kids to write. You know, to write well. Um, Now, does a child need to um, memorize some of the things that they're they're currently memorizing? That's that's a really good question um, for you know for education to pursue. So I think that there are things that we don't need to to spend time learning on because we know students can access them on their own if they're really interested.
0: You, you come to a really interesting point because uh, you know as you're saying um, in terms of progressive education, the the teacher is no longer the center of the classroom; it's the child. So you're encouraging the child to go out, to explore, to think for themselves. Um, Are schools doing enough of that at the moment? And when kids do show initiative, when they feel like they can go out there and learn on their own, is that kind of um, independence and autonomy being rewarded and is it flourishing or is it kind of just being put down sometimes in terms of, well, the child's being arrogant, I'm the teacher, I have things to teach you.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, uh, you know, teachers were taught to teach a certain way. They, they grew up learning in a certain way, in a certain model of schooling, and then they went to university, and they were also taught to teach a certain way. Um, and they'll continue to do that. So it's, it's, a, it's a major, major, um, you know, shift in thinking about what good learning looks like. Um, and so that's going to take a lot of support for teachers, uh, both at the university level and even up into schools. to, You know, how do you help teachers? You know, make that shift, and it requires changes, changes in how you write curriculum, how you descri- describe instructional practices, how you design professional development. All these things have to come together. Um, but it, but for sure, the uh, the child needs to be, um, you know, provided opportunities to. Um, to go out and explore things, so how do you do that? Well, teachers are often very concerned about losing control of, of their class, you know, so you have to change the way you think about how you manage a class. How do you teach kids to become responsible and independent learners so they can all be in a class um, and doing work on their own sometimes and and that they can be uh, supported by the teacher and the teacher can give them freedom without things getting crazy. Um, and a lot of these, these uh, instructional strategies, classroom management practices, are changes that have to be made. And, and they require an, another skill set for teachers. It's a different style of managing a class than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so that requires a lot of training and teachers becoming confident in a new way of doing it. But it just means that the teacher changing that mind shift, as we said, from the from the uh, sage on the stage to, this, to the guide on the side. Um, you know, if you think about any good, any of the top level performing arts or, or sports performances or anything else you know all of these top top level people they all have coaches you know they're they're constantly working on their on their skill sets and their conceptual understanding of how to how to do their activity it never stops but the way that they do it isn't by their coach giving them a lecture on how to serve a ball or on how to play a musical piece it's a collaboration between the coach and the, and the performer, in this case, so to speak, the, the, the learner. And so there's a, a, a collaboration and a partnership that gets built up over time with lots of discussion and reflection. The coach, though, must be an expert in their area. They maybe mm-hmm. don't have to be an expert in all the content, but they have to be an expert in how do you help somebody try something new? Yeah. And how do you help them move through the, the challenges that somebody has in trying to learn a new skill or a new concept. And when they get stuck, what do you do? And so the teacher's role has to become less a dispenser of knowledge and more a person who can guide people, you know, through challenging times and, and help them reestablish new goals. And where do, you, where do you look next when you get stuck? And, and what, what, uh, what parts of your own character do you need to dwell on in order to keep going? How do you, how do you reach in and persevere and be, and be resilient even though you've, you've failed a number of times? And so that has to be built into the educational day.
0: Uh, They're great questions and this is exactly how we need to be looking at education. We're talking to Dr. Paul Lieblik uh, coming up next. uh, We're going to talk about this uh, Knowledge Series conference happening in Sharjah uh, and I want to ask you about uh, technology in education, uh, Dr. Paul. That's coming up on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse95.
1: The Heart of Sharjah The Heart The Heart of Sharjah Pulse ninety five. Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five.
0: Last few moments with Dr. Paul Lieblick uh, talking education and the future of education and something we hear about a lot, Dr. Paul, is uh, the role of technology in education. In the last couple of years, we've seen so many schools demanding that kids you know even the kids who are uh in kindergarten or in grade one to bring their own devices and to bring their own ipads and for the older kids to have their own laptops at school and it feels like there's a lot um of time that is spent in front of screens now uh, is this essential is it beneficial there are so many questions around this
1: well i think a a lot of this it's certainly a um important question because as we all know uh, the, the digital world is uh is bursting into our lives in many many ways and i think we're already finding out that it's it's having some some very damaging um impacts you know we know for if you're running a, a middle school or a high school that the, the the use of social media between students is basically out of control and uh, a lot of uh and, and kids are are using it sometimes in very, very damaging ways. And so there's a whole area where um, we, we just don't even quite know what to do with it in education. Schools are struggling with with what kind of policies to make about this whole area. Um, and then, then, of course, there's the whole impact on in instructional uh, activity um, and and where we use it in the classroom and where we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the uh, one of the central ideas that, that I think about is we don't have to worry about um, pushing um, uh, display time onto kids. Uh, they're going to get enough of it in their own lives. There's
0: so much plenty, of it already. Plenty,
1: plenty, plenty, plenty. Mm. Um, schools, schools in my mind, should not be bringing any more uh, digital technology into the school environment than it is absolutely convinced that this is the, the best use of a child's time at the school. We've got limited time in school. We've got too much to do already. Mm. And so we have to be making very smart decisions about how to use that time.
0: So what would be the most um, beneficial in your eyes uh, use of that technology in school?
1: Well, I think some of the um, uh, there are certain things, for instance, like you're able to bring experiences of a kids uh, to other parts of the world where they can see things that, you know, you you can't you can't see uh, lions in a pride. Um, you know, and and how they behave and everything, you know, so easily in your own classroom, and it can come alive very much with a with the right video of something like that. Mm. Or you, there may be certain kinds of things that you know require just a lot of rote practice to get down. And sometimes uh, some of the newer software can really make that interesting, motivating, and fun for kids. And they, you know, they learn how to do something, you know, um, in, in a in a way that's you know more effective. Um, But there's also a lot of things that um, uh, I think we have to look at and say, you know, can that thing be learned as well um, on digitally as it could be, you know, with two people talking together, you know, with a teacher engaging with kids and and doing an inquiry and asking questions and going back and forth on different topics and, and, you know, um, raising doubts and questions and challenges. Um, You know, if I think of young kids first learning to work together in a classroom, um, uh, I, one of the best things I think you can do is you you put a group of uh, three four year olds together with a set of blocks in the corner and you give them time together to build something. And if you do that day after day, they learn very naturally how to collaborate, how to be patient, how to how to listen to each other, how to discuss what they're building. Especially if there's a teacher who's there asking questions and guiding them and talking them as they as they work through it. Um, there are things like that that I would question whether you can possibly learn those kinds of those kinds of skills um and understandings concepts uh you know by doing it digitally yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: and there's many many other things like that you know how do you you know can you learn to work with your fingers with a piece of wood or clay um you know and and really get the feel for it you know um, if you're if you're doing it digitally modeling um, there's a
0: lot that um we really kind of have to step back and question actually could this be done better without a digital device it's uh you know it's a topic that i feel like we could go on and on about and so important to keep asking those questions about it but something that i want to come to is the knowledge series conference that's happening november 10th uh in sharjah uh, which you will be speaking at. tell us a bit more about this conference
1: well the um um it's a conference to support schools in, in looking at a lot of the issues we've just been discussing. Um, and it also supports schools in beginning to look at some of the new inspection regimes that are going to be coming out um, in Sharjah um, to meet part of the national agenda for education, uh, which has to do with schools meeting um, standards, you know, consistently across schools. and um, And to add to that, I would say that a lot of the standards, as you begin to look at The the creation of these standards is that is that they reflect on the kinds of things we're just discussing, Um, and and um, the the conference is in part to also help a lot of these these help schools to understand a lot of these concepts and and you know and get them to begin to wrestle with what this means for their practice, Um, because the standards will call for uh, schools to begin to make. Some rather significant and dramatic changes in how they work, and in order for the schools to to be, you know, get their approvals or their marks, so to speak, um, they're going to have to be um, demonstrating that they can operate, they they can develop and lead an educational program, uh, oftentimes in a very different way than what they've been doing traditionally for many many years, and so uh, the conference is meant to support. Um, you know, that that movement.
0: This is coming up on November the 10th, and uh, we are very much looking forward to it. We'll have more details up on uh, our uh, social media pages about that conference as well. But we've run out of time. Dr. Paul Lieblick, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: And uh, coming up next on Life Beats with me, Sally Busser on Pulse 95, we are going to be hearing the incredible story of Cornell Thomas and asking that question, the fundamental question, why are you here? Uh, The answer may surprise you. That's coming up next on Life Beats. The heart of Sharjah.